Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. My guest today, Nick Schultz, the great Nick Schultz, one of the most uh, respected uh, wild players in history, one of the biggest pros, somebody that I'm incredibly uh, grateful for because he once let me get away with uh, bashing into his Porsche after Matt Cullen's 1,000 game ceremony, which you'll hear about on the show. Uh, so Nick has always been one player that I'm, I've just been a, a huge, huge fan of for multiple reasons. He was just a joy to cover and tough as nails. I mean, just an Iron Man, uh, played the fourth most minutes in wild history, most shorthanded, by the way, second most block shots in wild history, second most games in wild history. So we have a lot of fun on this podcast. Uh, what a couple weeks for the Minnesota Wild. Eight in a row at home. They're a league best 12 2 and 2 and 1 in their last 15, 12 3 and 1 since uh, their outbreak. But as a sports writer, you always either take the negative or positive. We'll do the positive in this way. We'll cut out that first game against LA, and they're a league best 12 2 and 1 in their last 15 with a league most 56 goals. And what's crazy is they're doing this with an 8.1% power play. We're talking like historically bad potentially if they don't uh, raise that percentage point by at least one and a half to get over the Tampa Bay Lightning of yesteryear. Uh, so they're doing this because they're even strength-wise, they are just outstanding. Uh, they rank second in the league with 69 even strength goals, but first with a plus 26 even strength goal differential. And their penalty kill, which went 11 on 11 during this uh, three-game win streak against Arizona, uh, their penalty kill has uh, climbed to third best in the league at 86.2%. And they're getting just sensational goaltending, which, you know, it's funny because the last couple of years we've been sort of saying that, not sort of, we've been saying it, that defensively, the Wild were one of the best teams in the league, and if they had just gotten better goaltending, they would have been a better team. And what is going on right now? Since February 18th, Kakin and Talbot ranked first in the NHL in goals against average, tied for first in shutouts, tied for second in save percentage, tied for third in fewest goals allowed. Overall, they're third best in the league at save percentage, sixth best in goals against average, and sixth in fewest goals allowed. And uh, Talbot's 6-4-1. and one. Uh, As you all know, Capo Kakinen has won a franchise rookie record nine in a row. Uh, this is the reigning 2019-20 HL Goalie of the Year. He stopped 233 of the last 246 shots for a 144 goals against average and a 947 save percentage. Only four rookies in NHL history have posted a longer win streak than Kakinen's nine in a row and none since 1973-74. So, uh, man, things are just going well. Things do get tougher here. They go to Colorado for two games. They're probably going to be without Carson Soucy for at least one of them. Soucy has a hearing today uh, for his charging major on Connor Garland in last night's game. Um, originally, they called it an elbowing major, and right away, you just knew it wasn't an elbowing major. The elbow really didn't make connect. It didn't connect straight on with his head. But then when you saw the behind-the-angle uh, review replay of the hit, he launched into him, and because of that, uh, there was head contact as well, and the league doesn't like hits like that. So Carson Soucy is going to get uh, his bell rung today by the NHL. Um, but, man, things are going well. Kirill Kaprizov, still incredible. Uh, awesome chemistry with Matt Zuccarello, making these games fun to watch. Kevin Fiala's is uh, starting to come on as well. Capo Kakinen's giving Kirill a run for his money in the Calder race. And uh, the Wilder suddenly have a nine-point edge on a playoff spot. But without further ado... Uh, straight from the source interview with one of my favorite people in the world, Nick Schultz. 
And as mentioned, uh, one of my favorite people of all time, one of the biggest professionals and most respected wild teammates in history, uh, Nick Schultz. He's second in wild history with 743 games, uh, tough as nails, fourth most minutes in wild history. Nobody in wild history has played more than his uh, 2013 shorthanded minutes, second in the 980 block shots. And, you know, Nick, uh, you encapsulated the the kind of old hockey cliche about a defenseman that if you don't notice him, he's doing his job and you just went about your business on a nightly basis. You block shots, neutralized forwards, uh, just played game after game after game with, with uh, uh, you know, through injury, uh, old Ironman streaks and everything. Uh, you know, how did, how did you do it? Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Mike. Um, yeah, it's fun to be fun to be talking to you again. Um, yeah, I was just fortunate. Fortunate I didn't have a lot of uh, you know major injuries and stuff, and, and got a chance to to play a long time and just uh, learned from an early age from a lot of those a lot of the guys on the team like Andrew Burnett, um, Dwayne Rollis, and some of those guys, Brad Bombardier, just how to be like you said, how to be a pro and take care of yourself uh, off the ice and, and at the rink and, and making sure you're doing the doing the right thing. So I think that went a long way. In, in my career of, you know, and growing up early as a young kid, I left home at 15 and, and had to kind of figure things out, uh, you know, to, to play hockey and, and, uh, being away that young, I think you grow up, grow up in a hurry. And when you turn pro at 19, then I think it's uh it's a big adjustment. So I think that that probably helped in the maturity, uh, away from the rink and then on the ice as well. Yeah. And Nick, second draft pick in wild history, part of that 2000 team. And, you know, really, uh, the, the last uh, couple months, I've been doing a lot of 20 year anniversary shows, looking back at the glory days of the Minnesota wild. What, what was that like last week? We had Darby Hendrickson on, um, and you got to play with Darby as well. And, and Bruno and all those guys be coached by Jacques. Uh, it had to be just an incredible time to be part of the infancy of a, of a, an entire organization. Yeah, I think the people in Minnesota uh, being a part of that first draft and coming to that first training camp just to see the excitement in the city, obviously, with getting the franchise back and, and um, you know, the excitement was there and, and the players were excited to, to be a part of it. Me as a, as a young player coming into that and, and getting a chance to play in front of, you know, packed building every night and, and, and really playing in a, you know, a great city to, to live and be a part of and raise a family and, and, and all those things kind of factor into guys, you know, enjoying being there and, and being a part of that uh, that team. So I think it was, you know, like you mentioned with, with Jacques as a coach and some of the guys we had in our, our team there, was it was nice to, to be a part of that and then learn from that as a young guy. You, uh, at the time, you were so respected by Doug Riseborough. I remember we were at Parade Ice Garden once, and right when practice began, they announced a six-year extension for, uh, for you, Nick. And uh, at the time, longest extension in wild history. Um, that, that contract in a whole, I mean, was there any, any doubt in your mind that you were going to sign that long-term at that time with the wild? Uh, you know what? It's, it's tough. Yeah. I was going into my last year of my, of my contract that I didn't really know. I'd sold my condo downtown to Josh Harding and kind of moved into a <laughs> rental at, at Calhoun beach club. And honestly, it's hard as a player. You don't, you don't know. I was hoping I would stay there. I just, we just had my son, uh, Jake or whatever. So we were a young, young family and obviously we wanted to be there, but it's, it's the uncertainties of, of hockey and the business of it. And, and when, uh, Doug came, there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to, I wanted to stay there and be in Minnesota. And, and when you're there that long, you think you can be your whole career there. Obviously it didn't work out that way, but it was, you know, when I signed that, that deal, it was, you know, we were very excited and, and bought a home in Edina and that was kind of our, we thought we were going to, going to be there and just, you know what I mean? We were invested in the team and, and being a part of that, that city and just really, really enjoyed it there. 
The uh, yeah, I was disappointed when you sold your condo to Harding because uh, I used to <laughs> run into you all the time in, in yeah. Northeast there. You and you walking yeah, your dogs yeah. with your wife, Jessica. Yeah. Um, the uh, exactly. you know, it's funny. And then your home in Edina became sort of like the the transition home for all these different wild players over the years, right? Did yeah. you? It was just constantly after you left Minnesota, it went I think to Cullen. I remember I interviewed Cullen in your old house um, uh, for a story. I think it went to Zach Parisi at one point as well. Yeah. People love that home yeah. because of the little pond in the back yeah exactly that was part of the reason we bought it uh you know so many ponds and places in minnesota there and to, to have that i always dreamed of that as a kid having i always skated outdoors and stuff but to have it in your backyard was kind of something i thought would be super special and it was kind of part of the selling feature why we why we picked that spot or whatever and then when uh when that summer when they signed zach and, and those guys to their contracts it was uh you know they just said a couple of them had been out and looked at it and and uh, yeah, I was fortunate that he that he bought it off me. And I don't know if he still has it or not, but there's a few guys like he's mentioned that have that have been through, and it's a great spot, and it's a you know a great place to to live there and and raise your family. So we had you know a lot of good memories there. I remiss to say uh, that Nick is now a player development coach uh, in Philadelphia, where he ended his uh, thousand plus game career uh, with Chuck Fletcher and and all those guys in, in Philadelphia. Um, I, I bet you never thought that you'd wind up working for the Flyers uh, after your playing career at the time that you played in Minnesota and Edmonton. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, just kind of when it ends, you know, uh, every player kind of like they always say wants to play as long as they can, and you don't really plan your plan your ending, and it. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate to play for 15 years. It came to an end. Uh, we liked our time here in, in Philly and, and where we live uh, in Haddonfield, New Jersey. There's lots of ex-players here, and you see that in some of these cities where guys stay around. They, they enjoy the communities that they're in. Their their kids are happy. Their families are happy and stuff. And it's a great um, great spot here. So when Chuck got got hired, it just kind of worked out having a relationship with with him, even though he did trade me out of Minnesota to Edmonton <laughs> at the time to one of the worst teams in the league. So I still kind of <laughs> give a little bit of grief about that. But no, it's fun just to just to have him around, he, he knows what type of person I am and, and dealing with these these young guys in the player development role and, and Brent Flair's here and I get to spend a lot of time with, with him and stuff and it's kind of nice coming full circle and, and being on the other side and get a chance to, to help these other kids that have been drafted if they're in Canadian Junior or U.S. College or, or with our American League team here at the Phantoms. Uh, just really, you know what I mean, trying to be there and, and helping these guys out get to the next level and, and help the Flyers, yeah. so. I don't know if you remember the night before you were traded, uh, you guys played a game at home here at Excel Energy Center, and I grabbed you alone after the game, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm reporting tomorrow that they're probably trading you to, to Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you were, I, I remember, but it was like one of those things just because of the respect level for you. I'm like, I didn't want you to be shocked by it the next yeah. morning when the yeah. strip opened up. But I mean, that that was, I remember your face at the time. You were just sort of like, sort of blindsided about it yeah i wasn't like you said i wasn't expecting i kind of knew in that game i think it was against san jose and they had me out on the power play and i actually scored my last <laughs> game with a power play I'm like well these guys finally figured it out they're gonna put me <laughs> on the power play and then just to get traded the traded the next day so it kind of kind of all comes together after it after it happens so but it's um no it all worked out. like i said minnesota's great and uh uh, that's what happens you know and i moved to edmonton a team where i grew up as a child cheering for and got a chance to play there we didn't have great teams to lock out short year. We were close there with Ralph Kruger to make the playoffs. And it was a great experience to get a chance to play in a Canadian market on a you know a team I cheered for growing up, having family and friends around and stuff. And everything in life happens for a reason. We every spot we went, we, you know, really enjoyed our time. So I had Nick, I had uh, Nate Prosser on a K fan a couple of weeks ago, and I said to him yeah. sort of the same joke. I said it took you ten years in the league for Mike Yo to realize that you could pinch in on the power play. I mean, on the <laughs> yeah. uh, you know at even strength, yeah, you yeah, actually yeah, yeah. don't have to stay back at the blue line. Yeah. Um, 
What was Ralph Kruger like? Obviously, a tough day for him, uh, and just everything that's going on in Buffalo. Uh, he's he's out of a job. At least he gets a almost four million dollar severance package. Yeah, you know what? I, I really enjoyed my time with Ralph. We just had him the, the one year, like I said, the lockout short year, and he did a great job with our our group there. He's a great communicator. Uh, you know, a great great guy, a good hockey mind, uh, and he kind of got the raw end of the deal in, in Edmonton there too when they switched management and stuff. Had the one year. Uh, and I think just in Buffalo right now, same thing. It's just kind of a, a tough situation. He's had a kind of tough, tough go. I don't know what, who, it, who it takes to kind of get in there and, and turn that team around. But it's, uh, you know, it seems like I don't necessarily know if it's the coaches, uh, as you kind of been through a few there, and they've changed a bunch of management and, and all down the, down the line there. So I think there's got to be something, you know, different shake up there. You feel mm-hmm. feel bad for someone uh, like Ralph, who's just a, you know, a great guy and and. Um, you know, if you feel sorry for guys, these coaches, it's, it's tough. It's a tough business. And, and if you can't get the, the guys going and winning, it's uh, you're kind of the first one to fall. So, yeah, I feel for uh, Kevin Adams or general manager now as well. I covered him uh, down in Florida, just an absolute class act. And uh, hopefully he could uh, figure out a way to, to turn the tide there. Uh, Nick, what, what being player development coach in Philadelphia, what, what is the role? Uh, I, uh, is Chris Stewart still working there, by the way, do you work with him? Or yeah. No? So Stewie, yeah, they hired Stewie after this past year or whatever. So he's, uh, he's around. It's tough now with all the protocols yeah. and COVID and stuff. He came in for training camp and had the quarantine and test and was around here for a couple of weeks and went back to, he's up in Minnesota, got in on the uh, hockey camps up there and stuff. So he's, mm. he's back there right now with his young family and stuff, but he'll, yeah, normally he would be in or around the, around the prospects and stuff as well, kind of helping out. So there's a chance, you know, he'll probably come back here at some point and have to have to do the testing and quarantine and, and stick around for a while and, and help out as well. So. And in terms of, uh, I mean, Philadelphia, a ton of prospects. So uh, I'm sure you're going back and forth to their their farm team as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Allentown is probably a little over an hour from from our place here in uh, in Jersey or whatever. So we go there, and there's yeah, they got some really high end forward prospects there now. Some D uh, prospects. There's a bunch of kids. It's first first year pro for them. So kind of get down there and, and help out with the coaching staff there. Uh, go on the ice, them help out after, kind of watch watch their games, go up for quite a few of their games, uh, and just kind of be in constant contact with these guys and, and what they need to do to continue to develop, continue to get better, and ultimately one day, you know, help help the Flyers. So, yeah. Um. Uh, and the other thing that you do, I know, is coach your kids, right? Uh, at hockey, yeah, I remember yeah. seeing you in Raleigh about uh, four or five years yeah. ago. Uh, you were down there for a hockey tournament. Yeah, you think uh, talking about Kevin Adams and his pressure he has right now. He was coaching his little <laughs> seven boy in, in Buffalo before he took the job with the Sabres. So he's got a little more pressure than I do coaching the uh, coaching O seven. Maybe he was back there right now, but um, <laughs> no, it's it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like you said when you're done done playing the first couple of years. I I didn't do anything, uh, so I, to get a chance to coach my son and be involved, especially when you play, you're gone so much away from all your kids. And I have two younger younger girls that are nine and eleven, so to be get a chance to be around around them and instead of away on the road and, and all that stuff as you, as you play or whatever. So it's been, it's been special to do that. And, and they got a good group of kids on his team and it's, it's really fun kind of, you know, helping out with those, those young guys and, and they're, you know, kind of realizing their dreams, hopefully to get to division one college someday and, and just kind of further their, their career and their academics. So. Are there, are there a bunch of former players uh, that coach your kids there? I know Brzgalov was telling me uh, last year that, that he does that. Yeah, Brizzy's around the area, so he's uh, his son's in a year uh, older than my son or ever. So he's a goalie. He's an excellent uh, goaltender and stuff. Um, yeah, there's lots. We were just away at a tournament this weekend, and uh, Sean Horkoff, who I played with in Edmonton, mm-hmm. is there. His son is an 07, plays on Honeybake. Uh, Brad Stewart, 
who I played with uh, World Championship. He was there with his son from LA Junior Kings. So all these guys, kind of ex-players, some multiple teams, kind of are, are you know coaching their kids and, and helping out, which is which is great. And I think has helped in USA hockey and a lot of these a lot of these markets where guys have stuck around and been able to, to help you know develop these these kids. So, um, Nick, uh, it's been a uh, we've gone what. 12 minutes into this podcast and we haven't yeah. brought up the Porsche incident. Uh, I got like, <laughs> so this, this, this story has become so famous in Minnesota. I've told it so often. I even t- uh, talked with it about Jared Spurgeon on a podcast recently that so many people, <laughs> I mean, I probably got 50 tweets when I said that I had you on my podcast about this, but uh, we got to tell the story about it. So it's Matt Cullen's 1000 game. Uh, afterwards, you guys have a party at the downtowner. I go to Tom Reed's, so I didn't go to the Matt Cullen party, but it's, it shares a parking lot. And after the game at like midnight or something, I back out of a space and right away I hear crack. And I get out and it's right away I see I just slammed into the to a Porsche. And uh, so now I'm, I know right away I've just hit a player's car. I mean, it had to be, right? <laughs> uh, and what's, what's amazing about this is like, you know, you're immediately like, you're horrified. You're like, all right, who do you hope the car belongs to that you're not going to absolutely make a total <laughs> fool out of yourself? And I was thinking, I hope it's kind of Schultz or Cullen. And I can name about six players on the team that I'm like, I pray yeah. to God it's not them. Um, and then immediately I see Jared Spurgeon and his dad, Barry, looking at me because either you guys were just going on a father-son trip out east to, I think, Philadelphia and Toronto or just came back. And yeah. uh, and I go to Spurgeon. And I'm like, whose car is it? And he looks at me. He goes, I think it's uh, Schultze. And I was like, all this weight like came off my shoulders. <laughs> but you take it from here because you were in the downtown when Spurgeon came in and told you that, hey, Russo just slammed into your car. I mean, my, I mean, I thought it was funny, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's a little different if there's a bunch of damage, which there was not. So I don't know if there was, there was uh, much to yours or maybe a little bit. I mean, it was nothing major anyway. It wasn't like you totaled the, totaled the cars or whatever. But um, no, I thought it was, I mean, I was, I mean, it was an accident. I was never <laughs> one like that to be all fired up about, about stuff like that. So it was, uh, but I thought, like you said, it's a great story and something I'll never Never forget him coming in and tell me, especially that it was you running into, the, <laughs> into my car. So I mean, I, I was I was thinking in the back of my mind, I better only get good press from now. On. <laughs> I better not say anything bad about me in the paper, even if I'm dash three and cost the team the game. He better be on my side. So <laughs> I remember, I, I remember like Spurgeon was running across uh, there on Kellogg, Nick, and I remember I like screamed at him, and I'm like. I'm like, Jared. And I, I'm like, I'm like, please don't make a scene. Like, I don't need like the entire <laughs> team coming out here. Yeah, and I, yeah, then, yeah. then I proceeded to have like the most awkward 45 second chat with Barry Spurgeon. You know, like <laughs> I'm sitting alone in this winter in yeah. January in front of a Porsche that I just hit of one of Jared's teammates. And I'm like, yeah. so, uh, how are you? And it was just like, <laughs> it was just absolutely mortifying. And then, as you said, you come across the street and you're just laughing. And I remember I'm like profusely apologizing and you're just like, go home and you, and yeah. i'm like no seriously i'm like go home and i remember as you said i was like asking you for like three or four weeks i'm like are you sure are you sure and i remember yeah. i came up to you uh in the pepsi center locker room one day and i'm like i'm like please let me just pay for the you know because there was yeah. it was scratched up a little yeah there's and, yeah there's a little bit of damage but not much 
So. Yeah, and you're, I, yeah. I did, I did promise you immunity for a month for me. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's good. I'm like, except for it. like, yeah, except for like turning yeah. the puck over in overtime yeah. for a breakaway, <laughs> you are free, clear of any yeah. Nick Schultz mentions. It's not positive. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. So, uh, well, I appreciate it, Nick. I'm forever yeah. grateful um, for you. How, how's the rest of your family? I got to know your brothers, uh, Chris especially, and Terrence, and I got to know your mom. Your mom was so nice to me once. She actually, when you, she planned this like scrapbook for your thousandth game i don't know yeah, if you have yeah. it um and yeah, she had yeah. yeah and she had me write write a something in the in the scrapbook yeah. and send some articles if i remember like how's the rest of your family uh everyone's doing great yeah my mom's uh back in her hometown in saskatchewan uh so she's kind of in the town where we grew up and uh i have one my grandma schultz still alive and in the home there at 97 so we go back and, and see them uh my brothers are both in alberta one's in calgary or, i mean one's in okotoks just outside of calgary the other ones in in Medicine Hat, so we go back in the summer. We got a place out in, in British Columbia. We spend uh, on the lake in in the summer, so we head back out and, and hang out with family and stuff. Try to get back at Christmas uh, for a little bit, which we were unable to this year. Um, but yeah, generally that's kind of and they they make trips out here if they can. Or my brother Terrence generally comes out for a trip every year and take him to some sporting events or go to Atlantic City or take him into New York City, kind of do something something fun with them. So it's uh, yeah, everyone's everyone's doing good there kids are doing well and it's um you know it's it's nice to kind of get back home and and, and see them when we can yeah uh, i used to call your mom mayor schultz uh because yeah. she was the mayor of strasburg saskatchewan uh but yeah. she, she 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 gave that up yeah she's not the mayor anymore i think she's had <laughs> enough i think she did her did her two terms or whatever eight years ten years whatever it was and kind of had enough but she's been on the town council yeah. there forever and she does a great job it's just a small little community of about 800 people uh in northeast of regina so it's not a not a big center, but she, she loves it there and does a great job yeah. for the, for the people there. And, and growing up, my dad was, you know, had a key to the rink and we could go in anytime we wanted to. So it's, it's kind of nice in a, in a small town to to have that and then have people really, you know, take, take pride in the community they live in. So, yeah, your dad was uh, such a sweet, sweet guy as well. Uh, my first ever father son sit down that I did uh, on the father son trip out to Huntington beach. We were at the Marriott um, you know, your, your dad was part of that. And, uh, and I know that he meant an absolute ton to you. Uh, yeah, that father's trip was so fun. I remember, you know, I don't think they can take, you know, parents on trips as long anymore with the CBA, they kind of change all the rules, but the wild really did a good job with the, the mother's trip, the father's trip and having him out there. I remember taking him to Universal Studios. He hated, yep. hated rides and we had him, <laughs> I got a picture coming down the big, big ride and he's just terrified or whatever. So yeah, we had a, had a good time so it was you know something special to be able to take your take your parents both my mom and my dad obviously on on trips like that and it's uh you know something just just really special to, to have those memories so yeah and sad sadly uh robert passed away shortly before training camp uh one year as well um but then but then you got to bring your brothers on some of these mentor trips as well <laughs> which had to be uh, uh chris was a hoot uh on these yeah, trips <laughs> I, yeah exactly well i think the one miko was my roommate and the one was the philly here so and miko wasn't wasn't <laughs> playing at the time so my brother was out we would go for dinners they would have dinner set up and then miko and my brother would be out having beers after and i was back <laughs> going to go to bed so it was uh um yeah it was it was fun they had a blast same thing with your brothers i mean having two older brothers uh as a younger sibling you kind of owe a lot to them and look up to them and they kind of uh, you know, deserve a lot of credit for, for myself and, and where I was in my career and stuff too. So it's kind of nice to to treat those and the teams let you bring your brother, having lost my dad, you know, a chance to be able to bring my, yep. my brothers each on a, each on a trip and, and, you know, treat them and, and to the experience of, 
of playing life in the National Hockey League and, and how fortunate you are. So, uh, Carol, did she, did she, I can't even remember? Did she go on the mother son trip? Yeah, she was on the mother's yeah. trip where we went down to California. They had the moms over at some swanky hotel on the beach, yeah. and they were touring around Rodeo Drive and just having the best time. And she was, uh, you know, thought she was like all the moms. Like, I think that's why they kept them away from the guys, just like chatting and like just too much sometimes. So, but they had a blast, and same thing. Memories that those uh, those ladies and those moms will probably have forever. So, yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, that trip. That was when Jacques said that. Uh, Jacques, Jacques had a uh, quote like, uh, I think you guys lost in LA and he was going to have like the moms talk to you uh, before yeah. the game in Anaheim and you guys had a big win in Anaheim because uh, because the moms, uh, nobody's scarier than the moms, you know, what was yeah, it like? Exactly. Being, you know, what was it like being coached by Jacques? I mean, that, that had to be just kind of uh, at times intimidating, but at times just incredibly uh, rewarding as well. Yeah, I think as as a young guy coming in there, all of, all of us young players learn from. I think Marion too being the first like his game, and and you see him go on to win a cup with the Kings and stuff, and just become an all all around player, right? Like the little details in the game that everybody talks about that are so important, or coaches talk about and stuff. He instilled that in all his all his players, right? And it wasn't, um, you know, he took the time after practice. Now you see a lot of time the head coaches off with all the video and stuff they do. He would stay out when he was the one out there working with the guys. It was the D on stick position on a two-on-one, how to play a one-on-one, little details of the game, shooting the puck, different things, uh, whatever it was. He was the one out there, and he loved loved the game and loved teaching the teaching the guys. And I think about myself in a player development role, that's pretty much what, yeah. he, what he was. It wasn't like it was very team-oriented, but he worked with every single guy and in different uh, you know specific details to the game. I think that just helped a lot of us young guys as players, Pascal Dupuis that was there. I mean, there's lots of guys you put on the list that really, you really benefited from having him and Mike Ramsey and yeah. Mario Trombo, all these guys as, as coaches, as a young player that had the, the background that they had and, and the ability to, to teach the game. And I think that was, you know, a huge reason why if you can have that as a, as a player and as a young player, that really, really helps you figure out how to become a pro, how to play the game the right way. And I think I learned a lot from Jacques off the ace too, because I came in every training camp and he would, he would sit me to start the year. I think it was like my, fourth year that I finally had a, a season opener and he played me on forward with, with uh, Brian Rolston and Todd White, I think. And I took a goaltender interference family. I was going to the net and ran over Kippersoff. And then after that, I think I maybe had a couple of shifts after that. So, I mean, he always made it, made it hard on me as a young guy, just, to, and I think that, um, you know, really helped me, you know, train in the summer, make sure I was doing the right things. And even though I thought I came in in great shape, he always kind of <laughs> set me in my place. I think it, it goes a long way having those experiences as a, as a young player. So, yeah. Imagine how many games you would have played if you weren't set some of those games, Nick. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about Oh three yet. I mean, that had to be just an absolute, uh, you know, a blast. We had Darby on last week talking about, um, just that entire playoff run and just, uh, how the state of hockey really just, you know, fell in love with this team yeah i think it was pretty special uh, it was it you know so soon in the in the franchise history and, and to you know make the playoffs and then to knock off two powerhouse teams being down three one and just to see the excitement in the city winning those game sixes and having to fly out that night to, to you know colorado and vancouver in the next series and, and winning game sevens it was just something something really special and it was it was too bad that series against anaheim didn't go didn't go didn't go better than it than it did, right? It was it was such a fun ride those first couple couple rounds or whatever, and and just you know we couldn't solve couldn't solve Jaguar and it was it was tough. I thought we had a we were on a roll kind of and, and had guys that you talk about a team buying into their their roles and just everybody wanting to win for for one another. So it was uh, it was a special run and and it was you know something to be 
you know, pretty honored to be a part of and be a part of that, that group. So. Uh, Nick, we'll, we'll take a quick break in a couple seconds uh, because I have a bunch of Twitter questions for you. But I did, uh, before we take the break, want to ask you about Miko Koivu. And, um, y- you know, you mentioned him earlier in the show. He was your roommate. Um, you know, first of all, early in that, that early in his time, what was it like to be roomies with Miko? It was great. I mean, just to be, a, you know, with someone that was, you know, such a, a great talent and just a really good friend off the ice. And I think anyone that comes into the team that you're, around the same age you're hanging out with them and you get a chance to, to room with some of that. And he really was a, a pro and everyone talks about how like serious and stuff he was, but he was, you know, really fun off the ice. And you see that he's just very competitive. And, and I think you see that in his nature, just his dad kind of same thing, coaching him and bringing him up. And with Saku and stuff, he kind of had that, that pedigree, right. And it was just really fun to be around him. And he worked his ass off in practice and it was so fun to go out and compete against him in, in practice and stuff and, and have that. I think that's what makes team teams better when you go out and you can, compete and practice and, and, and work and, and then you're ready for the for the games and I just really enjoyed having them and, and being around in the in the room and away from the rink and going out for dinners and all that all that stuff. So I think it really just kinda helps when you when you have those relationships with, with guys on the team. I don't know why I just had this flashback. We were in Edmonton once and you guys were all eating at the Ruth Chris the night before a game. And I was sitting yeah. in the bar area watching hockey and you guys were all lined up. There was like five of you all lined yeah. up at the bar watching hockey, drinking like one glass of red wine. And I remember looking at you guys thinking like, man, this sport has changed from when I first started covering it. And people were, you know, you'd go on the road and Lyle Odeline would be pounding beers left and right. <laughs> and you guys are just sitting there drinking wine, watching hockey and, you know, regular night out on the road. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a change in that regard. So not that we didn't pound the beers, maybe on opportunities <laughs> when we had chances where we had nights, nights off in Vancouver after a right. game and you, and you didn't have to play until Tuesday in Minnesota or whatever it was, but definitely, yeah, it was, it was not, you know, it was like you said, the game it's changed and even more so now, right. Where you just, you really got to take care of yourself, but it's, it's nice to have those where you're, you're on the road and you can be together as a team and, go for a glass of wine, nice dinner the, the night before. And that's how teams kind of really, really bond and, and come together and feel sorry for the guys right now with what's going on, not being able to sure they're hanging out maybe a little bit in hotels and stuff. Yeah. You kind of lose that, lose that part being, being away from the rink and having that where you're, where you're around your teammates. So. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, Nick, the, one of the most funny, uh, the funniest stories that I wrote about you, I remember was uh, when you hit your 600 game mark and 10 years in the league, which meant at the time, now all players get their own rooms, but at the time it meant that you were allowed to get your own room and Miko Koivu refused to let you move out and stop being his roommate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't, he didn't want to be, you know, help me out. I don't think so. It was, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Like I said, we, we had a good situation. We kind of were on the same page when we would get up in the morning when we'd have breakfast, when we kind of had our, our nap, our naps in the afternoon and stuff. And honestly on the road, it's, it's tough. I mean, some of us as young guys in the back in the city, we lived on our own or whatever. So there, if you could have a roommate, it was, it was that much more enjoyable to be around somebody or have somebody in the, in the room. So I think it changes as you get older and you have, have kids and things like that. Some guys like it on the road to have that peace and quiet. But I think as young guys, it's, it's fun to, to have that, have somebody in the room to, to hang out with at night. If you're watching a movie or just kind of, talking and stuff instead of laying in the room by your by yourself and like i said we had a good good situation good setup we enjoyed being around around one another and it was uh you know something that yeah he wouldn't let me he wouldn't let me leave him so i think we got one one chance where we kind of had our own rooms and it was kind of nice so we maybe had a little break up there at the end but it was uh it was fun <laughs> while it lasted uh, lastly amiko what do you think he's going to do now that is uh you know he retired uh have, have you chatted with him i just can't imagine him totally out of the game i know he's got to figure out some stuff with his personal life where he's going to live all that type of stuff but what, yeah. what's your gut say 
Yeah, like you said, I think uh, it, it's hard. It, it's hard when it first ends, and I think for myself, same thing. I, I had a couple years till I, you know, had the opportunity when when Chuck reached out to me with this. But it's um, I was fortunate with my son. I know his his kids are a little bit little bit younger, but it's uh, it's nice to be able to be around your your family and your kids a little bit more. Like you said, all that has to factor in where you're going to end up. And when I was done, we had always planned going back to Calgary and. My family didn't want to want to move back. My kids and stuff. We liked where we were and thought I had kind of a little bit more opportunity here for for my kids and my family. And um, so it's tough. It's hard when it's over to figure out exactly where you want to be, what you want to do. I know his brothers. I think spent an extra year or two over in North America before he moved back to Finland. So I think there's there's a lot of things that that factor in. But I mean, you just yeah. It's, as a player, it's tough not to be in the game. After I find you see guys that are doing getting in broadcasting and things like that. I don't know if that's necessarily. Miko, but I think if he can be a part of a team and, and the experiences that he's had and, and how he is as a leader, I th- think he would be, you know, pretty valuable to to any team. So I'd love to see Miko on Fox Sports North. That would be an absolute treat. <laughs> uh, that would be just, just that would be hysterical. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but I could see seven like second delay. Yeah. Yeah. These young guys, I mean, him being around young guys and just with his like I said, his leadership and and he's a, such a such a great guy and a good good team guy. So I think there's he has a lot to offer if he wants to get involved in with a team or organization. For myself, I know it's I had a chance to play a long time, and, and one thing I didn't do was was win a Stanley Cup. So I mm-hmm. think it's kind of nice. You know, those guys that do media and stuff, you kind of lose that opportunity, right? So if you can kind of stay involved with the team and and push, and regardless what your role is, you're kind of still still a part of it and still still helping in, in some some factor. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. It would be awesome to just see Miko like lose his mind on the air, though. Like when the lines, <laughs> linesman kicks, like there's been like this epidemic this year of linesmen just every face off kicking a center out, yeah. and I could just yeah. see Miko just finally snap on the air. Uh, let's do this, yeah. Nick. Uh, let Let's uh, take a break. I have a bunch of Twitter questions for you, but I also want to tell everybody that uh, you know if you go to your athletic app or uh, the website site uh you'll see a little uh little uh uh icon in the corner uh to help you get to podcasts we have podcasts throughout not just nick schultz this week but uh steve levy of espn joins scott burnside and pierre lebron on two-man advantage uh on the athletic show wednesday at the athletic and uh ryan hardy the gm of the ushl chicago steel joins craig Kistens Custance on the full 60 this week at the athletic uh I talked to Ryan uh, a couple months ago about Brendan Brisson. Just a great, great interview. Uh, Nick, uh, as I mentioned, I got a ton of uh, Twitter questions. All ask me if I ever made you whole about your Porsche. Uh, we, we already discussed that. Uh, it's unbelievable how many people know the Porsche story. Yeah, I mentioned you, and I got like honestly like fifty tweets. So maybe I've told <laughs> it a little too much. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, I guess so. You know what I haven't asked you is, uh, so I'm going to Denver later today uh, for the wild uh, games there the next couple of days. And uh, w- you once left your appendix in Denver, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, that was, you know, that was really tough. Looking back on my career, that was one of the, you know, you don't really say regrets, but that's something that I look back. Yeah. Something I couldn't, couldn't control, but just kind of, we had a really solid team that year and uh, won the division. Had, you know, yeah, won the division. Had Colorado that, and, and coming in, uh, I think it was our last game of the season or second. It was depending on how we did in that game, who we matched up against. If it was Colorado or Calgary in the in the first round, and we kind of got beat up against Calgary that year, and and we kind of wanted Denver as our as our matchup or whatever. And yeah, just whatever after practice that day at, at Parade Ice Garden, I just you know something didn't feel right, and got there and thought I had the flu or something was was going on, and and didn't play in that last game, and came home and. We were having a team picture and found out that I had to get my my appendix out that day and, and missed kind of the first uh, came back first five games of the series came back for game six which we ended up uh, losing out in but I think it was yeah. uh, very 
very tough to to swallow. Just you know, grade team was a was a big part of it. Uh, that year was kind of in the prime of my career and stuff. And it was you know for all of us, I thought we had a really good opportunity. Obviously, Colorado was a, was a great team, and it wasn't going to be an easy easy first round series. But um, but yeah, that was that was definitely definitely tough and something like I said, you can't can't control but if i could have had that back it would have been would have been nice to be able to play in that series so yeah and somehow you got back in the series and played the final game which i don't know how you do because you're supposed to miss a couple yeah, of weeks yeah and, uh, yeah i remember I, actually yeah. yeah i remember actually before that you actually wrote an article right after i had the appendix like oh you had favored us to win and i remember you saying oh with with nick schultz oh now maybe the wild don't have as good of a chance i remember pavel Dimitri. that's yes. fucking bullshit that's like yeah pardon my language or if you beat yeah. Pavel, but he's like that's he said, that's not, you know what I mean? Like we still got to get, which is great, which is the right, yeah. right response. Right. But it was, yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was a great team, a great group of guys. I thought we really had a, a good group there to, to have a run again that year. And it just, just didn't yeah. happen. So, yeah, that's, I, it's funny that you said that because it's like every time I think of Demetra, um, you know, and I loved covering him. I thought he was a great player. I was so excited when the wild acquired him too, because I loved cover. I loved watching him uh, play for St. Louis. But it is funny, the first practice in Denver in the play, you know, I, I walk in the locker room and he just <laughs> annihilated me uh, like <laughs> Colorado in six, Colorado in six. And, and like, you know, and I'm just like, I'm like, you're missing your top pair defensemen and you got to play yeah. Sackick and Forsberg and all these guys yeah. tomorrow. Like what? Hey, Duke. And it was jury still on that team. I can't remember. Uh, um, yeah. He, yeah. He may have been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm was, just uh, like, I'm like, you know, like, what do you want me to do, Pavel? Like, you know, but it was, yeah. it was like yeah. a real scene. It was like I walk in the locker room and it was just like, whoa, I was not expecting it. Um, but I do yeah, remember was, like game game 82, you were sitting above me in the in the in the press yeah. box at the Pepsi Center and you weren't feeling well. And I'm like, well, that can't be good. And then I'm, uh, it's funny. I stayed a couple extra days because the Wild were playing Colorado. So I was going to start going to some abs practices and get some and get some, you know, features on Sackick, Forsberg, things like that. And I'm having dinner at the Ted's Montana Grill when I got the word that you were that you landed in Minnesota and and had appendicitis. And I, I remember one going back to write the news story, but I remember also calling the Star Tribune and changing all my previews because yeah. I just thought it was such a huge loss for the team. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, cause Andrew Burnett was on that team that time with, with Colorado. And, um, like you said, I was, I was, you know, playing, playing a lot. Then we were, you know, things were going well or we playing well. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was tough. I think it did, did factor into that, that series. And I remember Andrew Burnett, one of the greatest compliments I ever got is Andrew Burnett said, Joe Sackick hates playing against you. You always mm -hmm. play so hard against them. You're always, you know, cross-checking them, whacking them, playing them hard. And that's kind of how Jacques taught us to, to play. You always had to be hard to play against. And, um, you know, so to hear that from one of the a top guy in the league that, that hated matching up against you, that was probably one of the, you know, the best, best, you know, compliments I ever, ever got from another, another guy. Right. So it was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was tough. It was tough to sit out that series and, and not be a part of it and not, not battle those guys that are hall of famers. Right. So it's, it was, it was fun for me as type of role that I was in to, to match up against those guys and, and try to do your job to the best of your ability. So. Absolutely. Um, Danny Sussman asks, uh, and you, you did mention this earlier that you uh, give uh, Chuck Fletcher some shit every now and then, but uh, what is it like <laughs> pl playing for and then being in the same front office with a GM who once traded you away? Yeah. You know what? It, it's great. Actually, as a player, it's, it's hard because you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, the, the general managers around and stuff. I don't know. I necessarily had a, you know, the relationship with the player and a GM is a little bit different when now you're on the, on the management side. And I just think it's, it's, it's neat to see this and, and how he handles it uh, behind the scenes. And I got um, this, obviously this past year, we didn't have a development camp the year before when I first started, that was my first kind of entrance into the development camp and then being around training camp. 
and he let me kind of sit in when he was sending like the the young players back to their junior teams or their or the minor league teams and just kind of see the way he he dealt with these young kids and the, the honesty that he had where these kids were at in their career where they needed to get to why he was sending them down and i think that goes a long way just like the communication lines and just as a player to see that and how he kind of dealt with that i know not a lot of people yeah. necessarily do that so i was kind of and it's been great working with him and working with brent who's really in tune with the the prospects and the young guys their draft picks and stuff has really been really been fun and it's to be around these these young guys and help out it's uh it's it's really a fun role for an ex-player to be be involved in and helping these young guys and kind of see from from management to the coaches in the NHL to the American Hockey League coaches to to all these guys kind of how it works behind the scenes in a player you just kind of show up and and do your job which is which is great but there's kind of a lot that that goes into managing a team the coaches all the stuff the the work that they put in so it's really really fun to see behind the scenes and see someone that you know Chuck and Brent and the history that they they have and the success they've had kind of building teams and and managing teams is it's it's kind of fun to be a part of. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Like you never think about that. Like you always see all these ex players um, hired by organizations. It's it's sort of the new trend. I mean, it's happened forever, but it seems especially lately. Maybe it just feels that way because it's so many players that I covered. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. never think about how a GM actually teaches the job to that new that new development person or a new front office person. So that's amazing that Chuck let you kind of see how he deals with it. It shows you that he's sort of paying it forward for somebody that I'm sure aspires to you know uh, to to you know, to eventually get into a role like that. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Like I said, it's, it's fun to be involved and it's, you know, from, from my side, I don't know if I would ever be a GM, the pressure these guys got, <laughs> yeah. the stress they got to make moves and you, you trade a guy or a prospect and then it works out, doesn't work out. I mean, these guys got a lot of, a lot of pressure and, you know, from in my situation right now, I get a chance to do the, do the fun stuff, right. Work with the, these young guys that are eager to learn and, and get better and want to make the NHL. Right. So I really got to, a fun position and I can see from all sides what a what a coach is thinking about a player, what the management is thinking about a player, and then I can listen to the player and and hear where they think they're at and, and where they should be at and, and and ultimately what I think they have to do to to get there. So it's yeah, it's it's a fun, fun role and I really enjoy coaching my son now and, and I know it's a small window till he kinda is old, old enough that I won't be able to coach him anymore. So it's it's kinda nice I can do do both right now. But you know, maybe someday if you get more involved in and coaching, I think, is kind of where I would see my path a little bit. It's it's really fun to be around these these guys and, and help on the game and still be a part of a, a team and around the guys in the locker room and and really, like I said, pushing to try to try to win the, the cup that I never really got a chance to as a player. So, well, if you think there's pressure in managing, there's got to be <laughs> there's definitely pressure in coaching. No, for sure. That's why I'm thinking more like an assistant coach, so I don't have to. <laughs> the head coach, these head coaches. I mean, even if you win, even if you're proven and you win, a couple of years later, you, things start going. Like, I mean, it's 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 a it's a tough business. These coaches. There's a lot of great coaches out of jobs right now that that won and can win, and it's uh, and a lot of good young coaches coming up. I mean, it's it's not easy to to get into coaching and, and be a good coach. And I think you have. There's a lot that factors in how you deal with players especially now with the new generation of, of young players and how you have that mix with the older guys and, and everything. It's, there's a lot, a lot going on. Right. So, and, and having the guys really buy in and, and play for you. I had Craig Bruby here as a, as a coach. I absolutely love playing for it. It's a big reason why I re-signed a couple more years here. The opportunity he gave me here in Philly and to see him going St. Louis and just the guys wanted to play for him. I think you have to have a coach that, guys want to go play for you and, and do everything everything they can to to win for you so i think that's the the ultimate thing when it comes down to coaching so yeah 
You'll have to tell Chuck and Brent I say hello, uh, and then oh, text well, me, sure. and then text me verbatim exactly what Brent says because I'm sure it's sarcastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wild fans should forever be indebted to Brent Flair because Brent was the one that uh, that drafted Kirill Kaprizov in the fifth round. If, if Wild fans don't know the story, that was the year that Jordan Leopold's daughter uh, went public and and wanted wrote a letter and wanted uh, Jordan Leopold to be traded to Minnesota. So they trade their fifth round pick. They don't have a fifth round pick. So at the draft table. Um, Brent Flair, who thought, you know, throughout the draft that he wanted to get Kaprizov, thought he was first round talent. And they're in the fifth round. They actually traded their 2016 fifth because they didn't have their 2015 fifth and drafted Kaprizov. So, man, what a what a crazy story. Um, have you gotten to watch a little bit of Kaprizov or no? Yes. I, yeah. I mean, he's a pretty special player and it's it's fun to see what, what he's doing. It's fun to watch the wild right now. I mean, man, they're they're a good team and they're they're fun to fun to watch but yeah these guys are to go back to brent these guys they put in a lot of work i mean these these guys that are scouting players and out there and and brent to be kind of in charge of that here and and with the wild as he was overseeing that and stuff i mean they really got to make sure who they're picking is is the right guy and if you can find kids like that down the you know the really good teams that draft well find kids in the fourth fifth round that they can really see an an upside in and they obviously saw something in in carol and i mean it's it's really fun to fun to watch and fun to watch the wild right now yeah. Um, let, let me ask you this. Uh, actually, let's uh, go to this question. Uh, you, you talked about Miko Koivu Johnson from Wisconsin. What's your, what's your best non-angry Miko story? Non-angry so story? Yeah. So I've, I've, I, I used to dub uh, whenever <laughs> Miko would get angry on the ice, I'd call it angry Miko. And then he'd, you know, yeah. obviously be angry and go on our, uh, and, and just, you know, just annihilate opponents. Uh, so I think that's where that comes from. But what's your best <laughs> non-angry mean Miko story uh i don't know like you said a lot of them probably have to do with him being angry and, and mad at somebody and everyone else kind of you know thinking it's funny or whatever and him, him getting more more upset so um i don't know the non non-angry one but i had a lot of you know great time we went on a couple you know trips together all-star breaks and stuff um you know we had a lot of a lot of good time together he was i remember him yelling at the the pizza guy in mexico one time and stuff or <laughs> didn't get the pizza in time he should have thought it should have been free and stuff and i'm like we're in mexico here let's just pay for the pizza like we really got to get an argument with this guy about our, our pizza being 10 minutes late or whatever so i mean there's always stuff where it seems like it has something to do with him getting getting upset or <laughs> something not something not going right so there's multiple stories uh of that stuff but like i said he just you know everything was uh you know it was it was just fun to be around him and regardless of that i think guys knew how he was and, and how to kind of push his buttons a little bit too to to get him going so yeah uh and if you if you remember nick uh nick backstrom marion gabrick and uh kyle brodziak if i remember correctly came in uh for yeah. miko's 1000 game ceremony unfortunately miko wasn't able to play that night right if i remember correctly he got hurt um, yeah, he so was at least before get, that. He had yeah. he had scored the OT winner or the shootout yeah. winner, I think, in the in as actual yep. one thousand or whatever. So it was uh, yeah. I mean, it was it kind of sucked a little bit that he couldn't couldn't play in the game, but the at least he hung out in the suite with you. Yeah, we got to hang out in the suite with him a little bit, which was which was kind of nice to be able to spend more time with him and not just at the party afterwards, where he had a yep. lot of a lot of people there and, and things to see. So that part of it was kind of nice to to get some more time to yeah. to hang out and catch up with him. So. Uh, Nick, uh, last final questions for you. Uh, Anthony King says, if you're missing the wings at Barkers and Hudson, uh, apparently this is somebody that knows you. Missing the wings. At, at, uh, did you uh, go to Barkers and uh, Hudson a lot well, or no? Probably, yeah. Um, well, we didn't live out. We were, didn't live out that way, but probably we were, were there at some point. So I love wings. So it was, <laughs> uh, 
if I was there, that's that's probably why. So no, Hudson's an awesome, awesome spot or whatever. So we've been out there. Some of the guys lived out that that way. So it was uh, a lot of a lot of great spots there. And um, I mean, Minnesota's a great and out towards Hudson and stuff. So a lot of a lot of good spots to go. So were you the one that um, at the uh, remember at the 2008 uh, Republican National Convention we were in Grand Forks for training camp because XL was was hosting the convention yeah. and you guys uh, a bunch of people went to Buffalo Wild Wings and did a contest where they made I think Stefan Veyu eat the like super super <laughs> super hot yeah. ones and he showed up and yeah. his lips are burned he could barely <laughs> walk like everything. Was that yeah. you? You're doing? No, I was. I was there, but that wasn't my doing for <laughs> sure. I would never. I would never force that on anyone. I hate super hot stuff, and uh, I love wings or like a little bit of spice, but not like crazy hot like that. I don't know how people people do that, but Bayou would never turn down an opportunity. Uh, you know, the challenge like that. So that's uh, that's just the type of person he was. You remember Bruce Brothers? Bruce Brothers, yeah. Yeah, he tweeted. Uh, he tweeted me, "Hey Nick, does anyone ever come into the dressing room wearing sandals?" wearing sandals what does that yeah. mean you remember uh, i think you once pulled him aside and used to well you used to he used to wear sandals in the locker room and you used to yeah. give him you used to give him crap oh, whenever really? you walk it by your stall you'd oh, be like hey nice sandals so i don't, if I I don't remember, remember that yeah. yeah but it's i mean if you come into the locker room you got to be ready for anything right so yep yep uh you yeah, scored yeah. you scored 30 nhl goals andrew mcginnis wants to know what's the best goal you ever scored Best goal. Uh, one of the best ones, probably my, my first NHL goal was against Roberto Luongo at home. Um, uh, Andrew Burnett set me up behind the net. Uh, Jersey Jim Dowd also was on the plaque for the, the assist. Two great, you know, teammates and, and friends that I got an opportunity to to play with. Man, my, you talked about my dad. He was in the, the crowd that night or whatever. And I remember going to Kincaid's after for, for a steak or whatever uh, with him. And, and he ordered, he's like, let's have a, let's have a beer or whatever. And, and I wasn't 21 yet. And the server's like, are you of age? And and my dad's like, yeah, of course. Why else would I order a beer for him? So, <laughs> so that was kind of special. Just kind of the story of just, you know, uh, having my dad there for my for my first goal and, and getting it on Roberto Longo, obviously an incredible goaltender and having those two guys, those two guys set it up. So that was, uh, that was pretty special. I think guys always remember their, their first one and just kind of the story with it after having my dad there and and everything was, was pretty special. So, yeah, you guys were a, uh, it was crazy how often you beat the, uh, the Panthers back in the day and beat Luongo <laughs> throughout the, throughout his tenure. It was just, uh, it was just nuts. I'm just looking up real something in November 29th. I think this was the, yep. Uh, wild one, six, nothing. Uh, Nick Schultz scored the winning goal. And the next day, Dwayne Sutter was fired as the Panthers coach. Uh, if well, I remember, wow. yep. Yep. I just remember that, uh, to a T, uh, um, nice. I remember in my game story that night, if you look this up in the Sun Sentinel, I guarantee that you will find this, fans. Um, I actually wrote that night that the Panthers' best save that night from Roberto Luongo was on uh, on an own goal potential by Nicholas Hagman. Nicholas Hagman <laughs> took a slap shot on Roberto Luongo in a game that he was absolutely pummeled. And I remember I made that my entire yeah. lead in my story, that it's never good when the best save by your goalie is on your own teammate. Um, yeah. Let me just see if there's anything else, uh, stuff about the appendix, stuff about uh, being a development coach. We've all talked about that. Um, you know, uh, who was harder to defend, Sackick or Aginla? That's a good question. Both were uh, wild killers. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that Aginla had is that he was he was tough and he wanted to beat the snot out of you, right? So he right. kind of had that in his game where, where Joe was just super skilled. Obviously, both guys could shoot the puck. So to defend those guys and the shot that they had, you had to be – you know, always not giving a lot of time and space and, and good stick on puck. And just like I said, play hard against them. 
regardless. But I know again, like whenever you got him more fired up and played harder against them, he got he got better, right? So he kind of he lived for that and and lived for those uh, those battles, right? So if you hit him or slashed him or whacked him, I mean, he wanted to he wanted to pump you. So I mean, he had that kind of in his game where where Joe didn't. But both guys were very competitive and obviously very very skilled guys, and just with their shot and their their ability were, were both really, really tough to play against. So yeah, both uh, super nice guys. Again, Lowe was just, like the nicest mean guy ever. Like, you know, you yeah, get him after sure. the game and he was like super, super sweet. Uh, just a couple more questions, Nick. Uh, Michael asks, uh, what's your dream, dream job outside of hockey? Outside, uh, actually outside, like when I was growing up as a kid, I always wanted to be a, a phys ed teacher, a gym teacher, just for the fact of working with, working with kids. And I love, love sports and I always loved gym classes as a kid and, and being around all the different sports and the different seasons and, and doing all that stuff. So that was always kind of my, my dream job growing up. If, if hockey hadn't worked out and it still kind of is, I look at that and the kids go to school and just so important for kids to to be out and be active. And, and there's multiple sports and activities for them to to learn. So I think I always thought that would be, be super fun to do and, and still something if it, if it had to, that I would, I would really, you know, kind of love to do so. Uh, final question of the show. And as everybody, uh, uh, it's a great question because, uh, as everybody has seen here, uh, Nick is as, uh, or heard here, Nick is, uh, as nice a guy, uh, as humanly possible. Uh, but this person asks, uh, Nick, you're, you're known as an all around nice guy. What kind of situation makes you not nice? Makes me not nice. Yep. I don't know. I'm sure my, what pisses sure you off? My, <laughs> I'm sure my kids and my wife at home maybe have a different, uh, different feel for that. So there's, uh, there's definitely definitely things like everyone says behind closed doors a little bit different. No, but I'm a pretty pretty calm guy or whatever. So it's uh, yeah, not much. I I really um, you know love like I said love love coaching and and being around uh, kids and stuff and my family and 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 helping raise my raise my kids and stuff. And I think the biggest thing is just you know people that don't put in a, their best effort or don't work hard. And if I'm coaching or I'm helping my kids or watching them play any sport, if they're not working hard or not not putting in the effort, that's probably the the biggest thing I think with anything in life, if you're not going to put in the, put in the work and, and, and really give it your all. Uh, I think that's a really, you know, upsets me or if I see a kid on my team, that's, that's not trying or not working, or if it's one of my kids, uh, it's the same thing. If you're going to go out there, do everything, you know, give it everything you got and, and, and just kind of see what, see what happens. Right. So I think that's, that's probably the, the number one thing that, that bugs me. People that, that don't put in the work and, and, you know, wonder why things didn't work out for them. Right. So I think that's yeah. probably the, the biggest thing. So. What a, well, that's a perfect way to end the podcast, Nick. Um, you know, it's it's amazing you've been uh, gone nine years and yet you still second most games in Wild history, uh, fourth most uh, minutes, second in block shots, uh, and you know, and honestly, it still feels like I, I covered you yesterday. Um, so you know, really, really appreciate you coming on. It, it was really just fun catching up with you. Yeah, it was great. It was great being on, Mike. It's uh, you've always, like I said, you've always been great to me, regardless of running into Mike Porsche or not. You've always, uh, <laughs> always said, always said kind things and, and been there, and always respected the, the work you do and, and following the team there and, and being an honest, honest guy and, and doing the, you know, like I said, just it's it's fun to to go on to the athletic and, and read people that that know the game and, and know what they're talking about. So I think you're doing a, doing a great job, and, and thanks for having me on. Well, I really appreciate it. Send my best to Jess and and uh, Carol and uh, and Chris well, and Terrence sure. and and uh, you know as always, I appreciate it. And if you're listening to this podcast, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Straight from the Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com/straightfromthesource and receive a subscription for just three dollars and ninety nine cents per month. Thanks a lot, Nick. 
Yeah, thanks, Mike. That was fun.